Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and our guest today is Pete Gold, the founding partner at Catapult Policy Strategies. Welcome to the show, Pete. Hey, AJ. It's great to see you again. And where, so where are you calling in from today? So home base is D.C., currently down in South Carolina, uh, just outside of Beaufort. So, uh, lovely, lovely. I'm from the area. My family is all from, Green, from uh, Greensboro, but uh, we spend a lot of time in Myrtle Beach and Hilton Head and everything else. So. <laughs> Slightly better weather down here, I will, I will give them yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, Pete, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we first met, man, probably two or three years ago on a mutual client, a, a autonomous robot delivery. Yeah, client, and that, you know, and I want to talk about that. Will go into our conversation today about just where that make where the industry is going in light of COVID and touchless and contactless delivery. Uh, but I want to start just getting some background on you and what Catapult Policy Strategies does uh, for those who aren't familiar. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, it, it I, I, as with everything, I was like, I don't know. We either worked together last week or it was four years ago. I don't know at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Time's a mess. But um, yeah. So Catapult Policy Strategies uh, is a firm. I actually launched it uh, over four years ago now as shared mobility strategies. And just, I think, again, last week, last month, one of those, uh, we just rebranded and relaunched as Catapult Policy Strategies. Uh, it's a two-person firm. We've got offices in D.C. and New York, and we work with uh, startups primarily in the technology, transportation, you know, future of cities uh, and betterment of cities uh, kind of nexus. Um, and we work with the small ones where they are big enough and ready and, and actually have a thought-out product that is ready to start deploying and needs to be um, interacting with cities and, and the public and, and also kind of clearing the regulatory, what, it, what are we and what does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. But before they have that whole, you know, the built out army internally, um, helping them get from this phase to that phase um, and, and kind of laying smart groundworks and, and making smart decisions early on um, before, you know, they kind of, instead of doing the kind of running gun or just, you know, not knowing the mistakes and the, and the kind of minefield they're walking into on some things. So. Yeah. We've been doing it for four years and, and, it's, and it's been fascinating and it's really, I, I've loved a lot of the, just seeing the passion that we, that we get to work with. Yeah. And again, just in light of all of this, right. So pre-COVID three months ago, at least in Austin, right. I mean, look, you kind of three months ago, shared mobility across the board, scooters, but you know, bird, lime, um, multiple companies was, it seemed unstoppable as an industry, bike share, ride share, I'm sorry, bike share, yeah, ride share, car share, everything else, going strong, like Toro, companies like that. Um, and then we COVID hits. And so what are you seeing? And I, you know, there's, I think some, what are you seeing at the federal level in terms of policies, if, uh, if any? Um, and then, you know, for any trends you're seeing across the country in, in, different, in major markets you might be operating? Well, it's, so it's actually interesting. So right before all of this, we actually were starting to see a little bit of sputtering in the mobility space in that, you know, a lot of this was large fundraises and lots of losses and I'm out on and my daughter's here. Hello. Hey. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, let's do a pause. <laughs> yes, let me see that. Got it. <laughs> I feel like I'm this is COVID life. It's all good. And all right. <laughs> and to think so, that that guy on BBC who got like laughed at was like, yeah, no, we're all him now. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. So it's, it's just accepted. It's accepted. Okay. Um, but yeah, so you're saying uh, you're starting to see a little bit of or some sputtering uh, across yeah. industry, across the sector. Yeah, and I and you know a lot of it was we were you know the for much of for a lot of the micro mobility, particularly in the bikes and scooters, the you you know the the economics have been um, difficult and what you and i and you know and what i've always you know kind of attributed a lot of that to was that the early launching you know particularly when you look at the birds and and limes and then you know uh some of the others it started with we're going to be a unicorn it was funded and then valued at unicorn status and then it was all right now go make that happen which meant you know the kind of now cliche i think cliche Silicon Valley approach of scale, you know, it's all about rev, you know, revenue growth, regardless of if you're paying $3 to make $1, you know, if you keep spending, you know, $6 and you're making $2, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. that, meant, you know, and then we'll figure out the unit economics later. And so you started to see some pullback a little bit on the investment side, which then was starting to see, you know, and I think a lot of it actually stemmed from, um, First, WeWork, uh, the implosion of the WeWork IPO, where suddenly it was like, yeah, you can't go public if you have no business model and and horrible financials. Who would have thought? And, and like, right? yeah, and like, and then you know, you saw like shock waves across Silicon Valley, where it was like, wait, what? And it was like, yeah, guys. So now everyone was trying to retool everything, which meant like, oh you know, maybe things that are losing a ton of money, we should slow down. And so you actually did start to see a little bit of sputtering. Um, and also, I think on the autonomy side, it's a really expensive, like, endeavor. Uh, and again, I think that there, you know, I'm still not sold that VC is the appropriate funding mechanism for what is, not even basically, which what for what is an R&D project. Um, you're funding it like hot, you know, fast rising businesses when they're, they're not there. It's an R&D project. And then as the, you know, the excitement and timelines kind of waned, the money started to disappear. And so you're start, you started to see a couple of the smaller um, AV companies um, kind of going under and or being acquired for basically for talent. Um, and so you were already seeing some of those trends, which I think is, is kind of healthy. You know, you couldn't go at the everyone with an idea, even if it's a similar idea to many others, gets a ton of money and then and no one has to show a profit. And so you were already seeing that. And then COVID hit. And and I think that kind of, you know, what's really being ironed out right now and, and what determines who's successful and who's not um, is who was lucky enough to have most recently raised a big round um, yeah because <laughs> even you know if you're if you like add better economics or whatever it's it's being it's, some people are having a lot of people i think are having difficulty raising that round right now or closing that round that they were about to close mm -hmm. um it, you know there's just so much uncertainty uh right now so we were already starting to see that and i think to a decent extent there's there's it's healthy it's kind of the brush fire 
um, you know, mentality of, of you need to clear out some brush and let strong ones, you know, emerge. Um, and then, but, you know, then there's also, I think there's going to be a reckoning in terms of like both opportunities and risks in this industry, much the same way that transit's facing and airline travels is facing and anything that involves being within six feet or touching something that you haven't been, you know, in control of the whole time um, that needs to be figured out. So um, from the policy standpoint, it's uh, at the federal level for this stuff, we haven't really seen that much, you know, at the federal level right now, it is kind of throwing buckets of money on, on everything. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, and, and I don't mean that disparagingly, you know, we're, we're used to recessions and, and slowdowns and the, the federal stimulus is, is priming the pump. This is the federal government re, like replacing the pump, like being the pump, which it just has never done. And really, you know, as we're, uh, we're probably seeing overall is it can't be like, that's it, the economy is way too big for uh, additional spending to replace all economic activity at this point. So it's, you know, that's the federal side of it. We're not really seeing a ton. Um, but at the city levels is where you're seeing different diverging approaches in terms of how they view micromobility, how they view, you know, all of these things. Some places are shutting down their bike share. Uh, some places are kicking out all the scooter companies. Other places are like giving free bike share and, and, you know, you know, and even Portland subsidizing spin because it, you know, there some, again, some cities are shutting down bike share to ensure social, social distancing. And these guys are, you know, subsidizing it to ensure social distancing. So I think there's, you know, a lot of it goes to how do people view this stuff as really a positive or as a kind of toy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, as we get through the next several months and probably most definitely probably varies by state too. So just, we can focus on Texas just because we're, you know, we're, we're, I'm based here. But you know, in our state, you know, as you as you may know, like our governor over the last several weeks, starting in April, uh, issued you know the the first reopening order for Texas. Um, another one is expected will be out on Monday, this upcoming Monday, May 18th. Um, and you know, there's broadly, Governor Abbott's been at odds with city officials, uh, mayors, and uh, county judges here, who are the county executives, just over health policy. But on the on the people level, like on the, I'd say the civilian level, right? People who are just, who aren't in policy or don't watch it like, like as a, as a job and analyze and think about it all the time. As the social, as the, you know, as the, as the government messages, at least in states like Texas, lightens up, right? At least the perception of having a stay at home. Um, because that was the biggest thing. Austin didn't pull any scooter licenses or permits, I believe. It was more just people not using them. And yeah. then we saw a company, then a mixture of that, and then company, yeah, and then companies either consolidating their markets. I think Lime pulled out of Austin, Austin and Santa Monica. Austin, and Santa they pulled Monica, out everything, everything, right? And then, um, you know, Bird, Bird scooters still around. I see Revels mopeds around, but you know, I haven't seen a lot of people on them. And so it's a mixture of people not using them, and and that's kind of in it. And the companies that can last and have the funding just banking on there will be an upside you know as as not only the legal legal orders or restrictions yeah. come down it's really the social part right because yeah governor you know the government can say it's great but people people don't feel comfortable doing it 
at least like this, and then this is, you tell me if I'm wrong from this, like, I feel there's gonna be a wave of folks, we call them like early adopters, if you will, that they're really clamoring, you know, clamoring to get out as soon as the government says they can get out. And you have folks who are in that second wave and third wave who are really waiting to see how the, what happens to those folks. Yeah. And I think they the critical masses when we have the wave after the, those two and enough months have passed by, even though, you know, in terms of a pandemic, it means nothing, right? And, and yeah. objectively, I mean, it's, 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 this last three months has passed like this, right? Yeah. Um, but enough people out there, let's say by August, aren't seeing people getting sick or pandemic level of sickness, right? And, and the, the state government isn't really putting on any restrictions. You'll see more, you know, people wanting to get back on, um, get back on uh, scooters or, or in the, in the shared car uh, to a uh, ride share and so on. Right. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, and what's I think really sad is that the, the biggest loss, like the biggest loser in this from a mobility standpoint is, is absolutely going to be mass transit. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to order me not to use, you know, I, I live in DC. You don't have to order me not to use the Metro. Um, you know, and, and so, you're going to see likely, and we've already seen it across the country and around the world, dramatic drops in, you know, 80, you know, high seventies, early 80% drops in ridership and fair and fair recovery uh, on transit. And I think it's not, you know, and then as uh, internationally, as they open up, you're seeing uh, car travel kind of return close to normal in some places in China, they're exceeding 2019 levels already while transit remains down, uh, where is it, uh, you know, 50 something percent. Um, and so what you're, you know, he, those people are going to be going to somewhere and you have, you know, a lot, that large portion of people that are not taking transit, it's what are they going to do? And I think that's where the policy side of this is, is really critical is that if you just say what, what, uh, you know, where are those people going to go? And aren't and are taking it passively. Those people are going to drive cars, buy cars. You know, you've got a dollar something gas. You know, it's in, in California. Gas, the average gas is uh, two seventy seven. You know, when a year ago it was four oh seven. I don't. You know, I can only imagine. You know, it's significantly lower. It, you know, nationally it's a dollar eighty six. Like we haven't had that since I was in high school. You know, yeah. and so that you know you combine that with you know, especially early on too, the, you're not going to have everyone dive back in. So it's not going to be an necessarily an immediate crush. And so it's going to be like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, driving alone is great when gas is $1.86 and no one else is on the road. Um, and when car, you know, car companies and used car, uh, dealerships are have just a huge over overstock and need to are giving away cars that is going to have major long-term implications. Mm-hmm. And we think, though, too, you know, you had P, I'm sorry. No, no, please go ahead. Just with, I mean, I, just you factor that in, but there are folks, too, as these states open up who, like, you and I have the luxury of, you know, our jobs are extremely remote or had potential. I mean, we can pick up a computer and do our job yeah. anywhere in the world or by phone or by uh, computer, laptop. And, but there are, you know, definitely segments as we're, this whole pandemic has exposed how fragile our economy is or how fragile or maybe precarious yeah. is the better word for it. A lot of folks, and not even just working class, but middle class families are in this whole period. And for a lot of folks who, you know, who, you know, 
I'm, you know, given the option, I'm sure they'd rather be in a car or be in contained, but mass transit is their only option, right? And I mean, that's why a lot of these services still exist. I mean, it's a public, it's supposed to be said to be a public good. Um, and again, right, it's going to be an interesting time for mass transit overall. I'm hoping to get, uh, um, you know, our local or transit authorities, uh, CEO, Randy Clark on the show to talk about just that because it's, it's, you know, this is really a, it's a very, I think overall, it's a very entrepreneurial time, even for public, public entities, right? But how they want to navigate it. Yeah. I see trends. I see, you know, you see different cities, municipalities, different parts of the country responding to it in various ways, doing P3s with uh, public, 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 private partnerships with private, the private sector, uh, or consulting routes and, and what, what have you. Um, but how they navigate it, I mean, I agree, they've been, in, we all, I mean, it's objectively they've been impacted because no one's, the ridership's gone down. And how to get out of it. So, I mean, if you look at the app, the numbers, so not only is ridership down, um, but, you know, and a lot of them receive fund, you know, their local tax base is funded by cities or MPOs, either through just general funds in the city, from the cities uh, or the states or through local sales taxes. You know, everything about this economy, other than basically you know, grocery delivery and Amazon are just decimated. And so, so are those tax bases. And so the funding itself is what's gone. And, you know, and we've actually, and, and it's going to be sustained, you know, it's, it, it's, it's an ongoing thing while also you're adding in significant added, you know, a lot of their labor is a fixed cost. You know, it doesn't, you know, whether or not you run the bus, you're paying. Um, and so you, and then you add on top of that, like, okay, even just, you know, as you said, the people, folks who are riding transit right now have absolutely no choice but to A, go to work and B, take mass, tra- you know, take transit there. Um, and so transit agencies are, you know, doing everything they can from PPE to modifying bus to protect, you know, the, to protect drivers and as much as they can passengers, spraying down and all the disinfectants. Like these things all cost money. And like there, I find me a transit agency across the country that was, had extra money laying around before much less now. Um, and it's just, it's going to be a very difficult time. Like, and it's going to have decade or more long implications for the systems. Um, but you know, I, and I think that's, you know, you were talking about it, you know, the phased opening from a comfort level and when, and I think the reality of it is the real phasing is going to be about, um, the direness of the economic situation, you know, I have a feeling if you pulled folks that were, you know, essential workers who are using transit right now, how safe they feel, they don't feel very safe, you know, and it's mm-hmm. I'm not on here because I don't believe in, in, you know, uh, those, the experts. It's like, I, I have like, you know, I have to feed my family and I have to go to work or I lose my job. And this, you know, and that's why you're seeing just such just wildly disparate, um, you know, numbers shown in, in infections and deaths, uh, you know, in, in, in major cities and, and everywhere that is overwhelmingly, you know, um, you know, harmful to low income and to minorities and, and to, you know, just everyone who doesn't have the luxury of kind of shutting it down and, and doing their, you know, doing their job via Zoom. Um, mm-hmm. you're the cleaning crew, you don't, you can't Zoom call in the work. And so, um, it's just, you know, it, it is hard, you know? And so I, that's where I think finding, you know, figuring out what are the ways that we're going to be able to allow for mobility that is 
you know, and I think to be honest, I think that the hopefully the big win, the, you know, the best case alternative to everyone going out and driving their own cars um, is uh, our e-bikes. You know, I think it provides a broader range. It provides, and that's both shared, but also personally owned. You know, bikes and e-bikes um, are, you know, are, is a good way, is a great habit. That if that's stuck, that would not be the worst thing in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And that are able to, you know, people, I think you folks who are, you know, are also pedestrians are also transit riders as things reemerge. Um, and so I think looking at ways and, you know, we see a lot of cities opening up streets and, or at least lanes to do additional safe bike infrastructure, both for spacing right now during the shutdown, just to get people out of their house um, without being on top of each other on a sidewalk. Um, but I think hopefully those stick and like you start really, you know, this is a, opportunity you know i i you hate to i you know you hate to use the word opportunity in this case but this is a a you know a shock to the system and that and during those shocks if you look at you know we're already think about all the life changes people are making and sustained life changes right now that's going to apply to their travel habits which you know trying to get people to do things other than drive alone for the last you know forever but for the last several many decades um is hard it's a very ingrained thing and so it takes something like this to force people to be like okay well so what is my new approach and so using that as a as a kind of opportunity to both make major changes on the infrastructure design and and what is being made available to people and hoping that that helps to influence long-term trends because this is going to go on you know this isn't a temporary shutdown like so in dc you know we have inauguration week and people just you, you know, it's not a normal week. You stay home. You, a lot of people get out of town. The, you know, we had the Pope come, and it's just like, yeah, don't go downtown. So, like, I, I drove. I remember driving around the afternoon that the Pope was there, and like the streets were empty. It was crazy, and like you could yeah. get around. Let's say, but that's very different than doing this for the next six months to a year and a half. You know, people yeah. are going to like people will purchase a car if that becomes their their only source because this is not a you know, I've got to adjust to a snowstorm type situation. Yeah. Come back to your point though, on the, the, the opening of more pedestrian friendly or it's more pedestrian friendly policies in urban cores, right? Uh, at a world level, I, you know, I, I saw, I read rather last month that, you know, the mayor of Paris, yeah. they're pretty much, I mean, they were already, they were already pushing the, you know, they had to get taxes or, or levies on cars yeah. in the, in the urban core. They're pushing, using this time to push cars further out. And making more of the urban of the of the metro walkable or pedestrian yeah. friendly bikes, something else. And I know New York as well has had, and a lot of it, right? It's not so much about the car park, but it's more about just giving more room for people to be outside and relatively decrease the giving more space for people to have more space. Um, and I know Austin recently passed a, a resolution on that. Uh, last week, a healthy a healthy streets program, and yeah. that actually ties into this too because. You know, um, the biggest the biggest push for having shared mobility uh, scooters or bikes was was that 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 final mile, right? And then as more corridors open up, like where I live in Austin, it's very optimally set for for scooters, scooter shares, pedestrians. There's blocked off lane or dedicated lanes for bikes and scooters. Um, it's just set up well for that micro mobility. But as more, you know, as as it may be something we see zoom out. Down yeah. As we see like two years down the road, 
these programs stick because they're seen as just more, you know, more, um, just not even the utility of it from a sense of having people, giving people space in time of a pandemic, but it is something that, but for this, people would have fought against, right? Or at least certain elements would have fought yeah. against. Um, it could be something that brings at least the surviving scooter companies are not, because I mean, in Austin, screws were everywhere, man. Like they were everywhere. Yeah. So I think it's not, it was more a matter of people not wanting to touch a bunch of different handles, but as vaccines are emitted or, or, or vaccine or vaccines are developed and if these programs can stick, it's really, you know, and it's not tied to this conversation, but COVID has a lot of impacts on mobility and on like the built environment and everything else, but it all, it all wraps together, right? Um, that kind of deal. So switching gears though, I do want to talk about one other, one part of the uh, thing that's in my mind is around just autonomous, autonomous mobility, yeah. um, both from the transport side and the delivery side. Um, I mean, as you see, you order pizza, like you order pizza in Austin, they'll ring or any kind of package, right? Let ring, it comes to your door and then they'll, you're off, right? And you look like at it, you know. the guard ceremony. Yeah, <laughs> the con, the con, yeah, the contact with delivery. And, you know, as you and I, the client we, client we work for, um, then they're based in the Bay Area, their product, the, it, you know, it really decreased, you know, it's by decreasing how many people touch or handle the yeah. product, right? And it could be food, it could be a package. But in that, you know, in that sense, with our client, you had a restaurant. They had an order, put the order in the in a passcode locked container. The robot went on its way. You got a notice about it. Went outside. Boom, boom, boom. Opened it. Got your deal. So maybe two people will touch it, right? I mean, you can wipe off the, you know, use gloves or else to press the buttons. But the amount of people who touched you, touched and handled your package, significantly decreased. And the whole idea of contactless. Um, as a, you know, just as a means of minimizing spread, I think it's something that people, I mean, I'm curious of how much that is maintained after all this, right? I mean, having handshakes or like those kind of things are kind of done. It's going to be right? really awkward. Business is going to be very awkward when we, the first kind of face-to-face -face meetings where you're like elbow bumping to, to, to lock in the deal. But yeah, mm -hmm. well, I think one thing that's fascinating on that is, a, well, a couple notes. One, you know, as with everything you know about this, uh, this came on so suddenly. Meaning, this went from like, oh, that that thing that's in in Asia to like the whole country shut down in a matter of a month. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't for a lot of the AV industry, and in particularly the AV delivery side of things, um, they kind of got a little bit called out on the car. Be like, all right, all these great things you said you can do. You ready? And they're like, eh, uh, you know, actually, we're still developing. And, you know, and just from a manufacturing side, like, no, we don't have the scale yet. This was, you know, still early. Um, but what what I think made it fascinating is the conversation from the policy side of, of and the societal of is this a good thing? Very quickly changed from like, oh, is this just a labor replacement to this is a great way to not put, you know, delivery people and and you know the essential workers just in unnecessary harm's way um, mm -hmm. between the the so it you know the safety element of like allowing you know fewer people to be you know you're, you know we're thinking contactless delivery on the receiving end safety standpoint but the you know the people who are most at risk and why you're seeing again such disparate in, uh, uh, impacts is that you know, I, I just remember, you know, they're like, we've shut down everything except for the grocery store. And then you go to the grocery store and you're just like, I, I feel terrible for the, the 
the cashier because they are just like one by one exposing to every single person in the industry. And that's the same goes for on delivery workers. So that, that was a different, you know, that was where it was seen as this is a solution to a real problem we needed. Um, whereas before there was kind of like, is this tech for the sake of tech with mm -hmm. a added side benefit of you get to get rid of having to pay people. Um, and so that's been changed. And I think the other big thing in, in the, during the lockdowns, and I think it'll continue a little bit, is that there's just a lot more people doing not so much just food delivery, but the grocery delivery and the like delivery of that you otherwise would have gone to the store and picked up. That has seen a lot more uh, embraced. And so that provides, I think, a much more a, a clearer and better market for these services. Yeah, right. I mean, it essentially comes down to it's the nice, or is it need to, or need to have or nice to have, right? Like in sense of, do I need to go to a grocery store for whatever it is? Or can I, I mean, I use, I've been using curbside, the curbside service at HEB here. It's a in Texas chain in Austin and now yeah, it works fine. I order the, I go order my stuff online and you know, there's a person that gets to the store, picks it up and then it goes to my trunk. Um, you know, I haven't been HEB, you know, in a physical store in some time, you know, and it seems like it was yesterday, but I've been in probably three months, right? Yeah. And that was a quick adaption. Um, but again, I think, you know, again, it's couched in this one applied to a lot of folks because a lot of things, a lot of reasons why I'm able to do curbside that, you know, I have a bank account. I mean, there's things that, you know, I'm, yeah. I have a credit card, I have a bank account that allows me to purchase things electronically. I have reliable transport to pick it up, da, 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 da. Um, but for those folks who are in those positions, it, you know, the choices of, you know, do I want to wait, even wait in line? Where do I want to draw a line in terms of uh, contact list? And I remember talking to my parents about this weeks ago, right? It, it is almost a luxury, luxury of all of this, right? I mean, the luxury of just isolating and still and carrying on and the biggest inconvenience of being, I can't see my friends or whoever. Yeah. Relatively speaking, but you're still making money and things are still going on. It's luxury. And, you know, like, it's bigger than this conversation. Definitely, again, well, it's bigger than mobility, but it ties in a lot of it, right? Because the, the things that micro, even micro mobility and, all of it, that was already, you know, having an account on Uber or Lyft to book a car required a phone and required a bank account, yeah. right? And a credit card, a credit card, a credit or debit card to do. So it was already, that itself was to a degree a luxury. Um, broader, you know, for, it was still accessible to a good amount of people, but it was still a luxury overall. Yeah, and I think that, and that goes to the policy stuff of like, what's gonna be, you know, what was already important, you know, things like, we need better space for non, you know, to allow things other than vehicles to have priority and like be building for those things the way that we build for cars right, and parking right now. Um, and I think that the same goes for equity in mobility, both the, you know, the services, the, the bikes and scooters, the bike share, the city run ones, um, as well as personally owned bikes and scooters and stuff. Um, I think on the micro mobility side of those things, you know, uh, companies are required to have an option for bankless or to have, you know, an option for if you don't have a smartphone, you know, and so they're complying, but they're just, it's super clunky. And when it's every single one of the operators doing it and then, you know, yes, making it available, like no one is actually using them because it's, it's just, it's, it's a huge, you know, you would have to be doing a huge aggressive marketing and everything campaign and walking people through it. And that's just to get them signed up on yours. And then the, and they're providing documentation to be getting into the low income pro, you know, d discounts and all that. And I do think that there's a real need there. And there was before this, but especially, you know, more so now 
that that needs to be something that's really coordinated and 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 uh, operationalized through the city. You know, through if if to be eligible for this discount program on micromobility, you have to prove that you are an eligible. You know, you are uh, enrolled in SNAP. The SNAP. You know, the the Department of 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 employment services or whomever is running those programs they need to be like it should almost be like a motor voter type situation where like and it, and that gets you on all of them like that it, the the focus needs to be not on like well if you want to serve your scooters here then you've got to do this because that's it's just not going to be done well even if every one of those individual companies was doing was like going through the you know through the roof uh, all in on this it's still a horrible user experience from the actual like from a low income individual's perspective of like, so I got to do this for every single one of these companies. I think that's one area. And then, you know, where that like, from a policy standpoint, they're like really doubling down on like, okay, like let's all get this in a room. This is not a competitive thing. I, you know, you should at the very least be able to bring in that thing at one place and walk down the line and be activated on everything. And I think on the banking side too, um, cashless, you know, there are folks without bank accounts. And so like trying to develop a, a credit cardless system versus getting everyone together, but also working with a local bank on like, how do we overcome, like, how do we create a system so that the, you have a, uh, that's not, you know, through the roof fees and everything so that you're able to get a, a, system, a card that is usable on all these platforms, like is a, I think a, a important and, and needed public service that you is where you have a public private partnership in the, normal sense not in a contractual sense of like let's work together on this this is a way that we're able to better serve these because you know you do need we do need to have these options you know they're there but it to, to actually have them being used and utilized i think is really critical and on the personally owned side you know e-bikes you know bikes are great um not everyone can ride a bike and also if you're you know if, if for some low income, you're not coming from the downtown city core, that's very expensive to live. You're that's where you're working because there's a lot of services there, but you're coming from farther out. And so biking becomes, you know, a, a very large lift. Um, e-bikes do, I think really shrink that size and, and make it manageable. Um, but e-bikes are very expensive. And so like, I would love to see basically EV credit type things focused overwhelmingly for low income um for things like e-bikes for a cargo e-bike where you, if you know if you have families like i do think like those are policies again where that's a, a an important focus um not just for this kind of between lifting the stay at home and whenever a vaccine and all clear um but then going forward you know these are this is how you're able to promote this and um uh, and, and and enable it for for all great and pete i want to give a just one uh, last thing, give you a chance to plug your your firm's podcast, the Mobility Podcast, as well, and uh, talk about that a little bit for us. Yeah, sure. So it's uh, you can find it. It's themobilitypodcast.com or just on any, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Um, look for the Mobility Podcast. Uh, it's myself uh, and two other colleagues, Greg Rogers and Greg Rodriguez, um, that kind of come from within the mobility industry. We're all DC based, um, but from you know from each from a different angle. Um, and, and we've been doing it for two, maybe three years now, um, and have just had a bunch of guests. We like to really look on the policy side of this um, and what uh, current and future trends and, and kind of where, you know, diving in beyond the kind of VC, you know, business side of, of the industry to kind of 
wade through what's BS, but also like where are the real needs and, and what's going on. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to plug. And, uh, and again, I, I, thanks for, so much for having me too. All right, all right, uh, Pete, thanks for being on the show. And uh, we'll put all those uh, information about your show and links to your, the firm Catapult Public Policy Strategies in the show notes. Thank you for your time. Thanks, AJ. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.